It is my incredible privilege, I'm so glad that I get to do this, to uh, introduce to you our guest speaker today. Bishop Andrew Williams is the Bishop of New England. He, he heads up the diocese. It, it sounds wonderful and we honor you and all that is in you. Andrew's already blushing. Um, he heads up the diocese here in the Anglican churches. Um, uh, Bishop Andrew has been in ministry for many years. He was in the UK. You'll notice his fabulous British accent in a moment. Um, he started off in law, I think, and then God called him uh, to be in full-time ministry and uh, ministered in the UK for many years. Then God moved him here to the States. He's been here with his family, his wife, Elena, and their girls for over a decade now. Um, I want you guys to understand that we have really privileged moments as a community where giants in the faith come amongst us. Um, Bishop Andrew uh, is an apostle. He carries a fathering gift for many communities and he stirs people up in the faith. And the Bible tells us when we receive a prophet or any gift, we enter into the reward of that gift. I wanna encourage you today, Open your hearts, open your minds, draw every bit of the glorious grace that is on the life of Bishop Andrew today, because this is going to be a moment that really marks our community. Uh, so I'm just going to pray, Andrew, won't you please come up? Lord Jesus, we invite you to speak through Bishop Andrew this morning, that this would be a moment of incredible grace for our community. And we just honor you for all that you are. And in this community, we love to honor, not because of what someone does, but because of who someone is. So won't we stand up together? Let's applaud and honor Andrew as he comes to So is this on? Am I yes? yes? Wonderful. There are, you can get used to the accent. I just kind of riffed a bit, so you can kind of tune in to the weird English thing. You know what? I, I'm so excited about coming here this morning. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. Seriously. Seriously. And, and I, I want to be like Julian and Katia when I grow up. That's, that's what I want. In all honesty. Guys, you are so blessed. You have the front row seats on something extraordinary that God is doing. I got chills. I, I'm, as I'm talking to you, I... Covered in goosebumps. The Lord, and it's not because that window's open. <laughs> you know, the Lord is here. The Lord is here and he's building something. I mean, honestly, the Mumfords for your retreat? Are you kidding me like that? <laughs> I mean, beautiful. And so it should be. They, they will so bless you. Don't miss that. And uh, I am so, this is just wonderful. I'm, it's funny, I'm reminded of, um, you know, when I came into Things of the Spirit was kind of through Holy Trinity Brompton in London and that, that place has always been very special to me. There's kind of an anointing on it. There's a cleanly, a cleanness about it. Yeah. And it's still there, you know? Yes. And, um, and I, I, I feel that this morning. I was like, what does this remind me of? There's something, and it, it is. It's that, that purity in the spirit. So God bless you. I mean, this is so exciting. I, I feel really, really privileged to be. I mean that entirely sincerely. And this is not just a nice thing to say at the beginning of a talk. I'm really humbled to be here. These guys are amazing. I know that you know that. I don't want to put them on a pedestal, but oh my gosh. <laughs> anyway, um, when I put my Bible over there, and um, the, the wind was blowing, and it was 
lifting the pages and I thought, you know what, Lord, that's exactly what you want to do this morning. You want to breathe something fresh through something that might be familiar to us. So I'm just going to read a bit from Luke's Gospel. Um, sorry, forgive me, this is, it happens. It's going to happen to you too, I promise. Uh, right, this is Luke 15. You'll notice it's Luke 15 uh, and I'm going to go from verse 11. And uh, I'm going I'm I'm to talk about the the youngest, the, um, the younger son this morning. Well, maybe you, you, if, if, you, if you want me back, I'll come back and talk to you about the older brother. But, um, yes. <laughs> but I feel to go for the younger this morning. So Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. (laughs) Put a ring, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would breathe your spirit afresh through these extraordinary words. Would you, would you overwhelm us again with the, the enormous depths of your compassion? Father, what I have to say this morning has already been prophesied over us. It's already been said. You have, you have already set the table. Lord Jesus, I pray. I pray you put a hedge of fire around us now. Would you command your angels concerning us? I pray the blood of Jesus over us. I pray that not one heart would be lost this morning. There's not one person here this morning who, isn't, who, who the Lord hasn't called and is so desirous to meet in the fullness of his love again. Lord Jesus, embrace, embrace. I know it is your desire to embrace us afresh. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sorry. I thought, anyway, it's not very English, is it? Thank you. When I, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, the only Christians that we knew lived at the bottom of my road. And my brother and I were incredibly rude about them. We didn't grow up in a Christian household, and we said rotten, shocking, nasty things about this poor Christian family at the end of our road. I mean, and it was bad. I mean, like, I mean, I've done much worse things in my life, but this was bad. You know, it's like, 
Like, I remember this poor family. I look back and I just think, oh, I kind of still wince a little bit. But I remember they opened a Christian coffee shop in the town and it failed. And I remember this conversation around our table where we said, well, where was their God? Literally, isn't it amazing? I was quoting scripture even then from the Psalms. Where was their God then? When, you know, horrible, horrible. Well, years later, a good while later, I had come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And I was speaking at clan gathering. Did you ever go to clan up in Scotland? Yeah. And uh, it, this is, it's, it's kind of like, new, it's, a, it's a big conference, uh, Christian kind of renew, renewal conference. And they have this special thing called clan up in Scotland. Um, this particular clan, oh my gosh, it, it rained. It rained horizontally. It was like, it was like, just like literally you walk out and throw a bucket of water over you perpetually. It was like astonishing. And um, so I, I had, we, I'd finished speaking at this particular session because they'd invited me to, to speak and I was just finishing up and I was just trudging across the, uh, the, the field, which was kind of now you're in water that's kind of up to here, kind of slush, slush, slush. And you, you, know, you know when your shoes are kind of, they compress and, and the water's got a little bit warm and then it gets cold again, you know, that kind of, I know. And, uh, and suddenly I, and I was headed to the tea tent because I am English and need a cup of tea. So make, making my way to the tea tent. And uh, this, um, I suddenly heard, I, said, I suddenly heard, Drew, Drew, Drew. And I looked, and there's this older couple, and they said, Drew, sorry. And like, the rain is coming down. It's like, this is not really a good place for a conversation. And I'm like, hi. And, and I thought maybe they were at the cop, you know, maybe they were at the talk, or, you know, so I want to be polite and friendly, but I want a cup of tea. And, you know, so, um, and they said, look, we know that you don't recognize us. But when uh, you were a kid, we used to live at the end of your road. Oh. <laughs> and we saw, we saw your name in the, uh, in, in, the, in, you know, the conference brochure, and we just thought, we just got to go and meet him. And, I'm like, and now I'm remembering. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. There's kind of all kinds of feelings in the rain. Uh, but this, this, this kind of moment... Um, you know, that, that season in, in our life was actually, as a family, really hard. I mean, but my, I love my mum and dad. We have a wonderful kind of rich relationship that has done a lot of redeeming and restoring, and there has been beauty from ashes. But at that particular season, things were just falling apart, and they never kind of got back together again. So it was a really, really tough time. I was probably about nine or ten years old, and it was, it was brutal for everybody. Especially and for my brother and I, it was really brutal. So this couple... I'm really sorry. I'm very full this morning. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, 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 don't say that. Um, I've got to get through this. Oh, my gosh. gosh. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so they said, they said, look, we, we wanted to say this to you because we've never had the chance before. And they said, but um, we know that that was a really tough time for you and your brother when you were kids. I said, yeah, it was. And they said, do you remember our big dog? And I do remember that dog. The dog was like a horse. It was kind of like this kind of size. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I do remember your dog. And they said, well, they said, we used to deliberately take our dog for a walk at about 10.30 at night and stand outside your house and pray for you and your brother. Oh. Oh. Now I was really glad it was raining. <laughs> I wish it was raining in here. <laughs> You know, and I guess my point is, but I had nothing in my heart for God and his people except unkindness and scorn and derision. While he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
The I mean, what I want to say to you, beloved, is, is the Father's love is really that radical. It is really that good. Don't fall for the lie that it isn't. It really is that good. And Jesus' motivation in telling us this parable is exactly this. He wants, he wants to show his listeners, which includes us this morning, how infinitely wide and long and high and deep is the mercy and love of the Father. And to understand the Father's heart towards us, especially when we sin. Especially when we sin. So I'm going to give you a little bit of context for this parable. So Jesus' followers okay, fall into two camps. I was going to kind of for jokes, but I'm not going to do that. So it's not sheep and goats here. So we're all. So there were the majority. Okay, there was the majority, and they kept a very low life. They were the shepherds. They were the tax collectors. They're the butchers. And in their understanding, God could never accept them because they could never be ceremonially clean. So these are the unforgivable ones. The, they have no way of being restored to God. It is shameful, miserable people, and they have been told. It has been pounded into them that you have no way back to God. And you know what? God really hates sinners. So that's the first group. And then there's a smaller group. These are the religious elite who presume that their own kind of personal righteousness gives them the kind of all-access pass to God. And they utterly despise the first group. And don't waste a moment ever to tell them that there is no hope for you. And because of this, they are extremely critical of Jesus in this moment. Because in their eyes, God has clearly rejected the first group. So why is Jesus like wasting his time? And this is why, see, this is why in Luke 11, this is the kind of build up to this parable. We hear, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus told them this parable. See, that's the context. And what they heard would have really shocked them. I mean, this is kind of like a slap around the face. I mean, like, when that youngest son says, give me my inheritance, what he's basically saying is, Father, I wish you were dead. It's a death wish. And then there's this really cruel disintegration of the family estate. It's not like, it's not like oh, well, you know, it, this is done hurriedly, so it's obviously sold kind of cheaply. There was no kind of bartering. And also, you can't, I mean, what, what do you do if you have one horse? Like, you chop it down the middle? I mean, so it's, it's really cruel. Um, and Jesus wants us to be in absolutely no doubt. The NIV says wild living. He lived, a, indulged in the most wicked and debased lifestyle. We need to understand that. And then when the story is like, oh my gosh, that's just disgusting. Guess what Jesus does? He throws in some pigs. It's like, and pigs. <laughs> Which we know make, make them ceremonially unclean. So basically, it's like, it's, it's like death wish, cruel to the family, you know, which is, which is culturally, it's like, oh my gosh, that you would despise your family and your people. Oh my gosh. You know, you, you indulge in the most wicked lifestyle we can possibly think of. Don't think of it, but whatever it is, he did it. And then throw in the pigs, right? And to lose the family estate, as he did, to lose it to the Gentiles, means that he is, to all intents and purposes, dead to this Jewish community. He's dead to his father. He's dead to the community. He is literally dead in his sins. So why are his sinful actions so bad? Why can't we kind of tone this down a bit? Why can't this be a parable about, you know, uh, a pitchfork and a chicken? I mean, that would be, you know, a slightly heated debate. That's my pitchfork. No, it's my chicken. You know, something... <laughs> Let's kind of bring it down a bit. Why this extremely sinful parable, if you like? Why this, this incredibly sinful nature of this parable? 
Why? Well, this begins with an understanding that the Father's love is limitless in mercy. And I know that there's people here this morning who need to hear this. So if this is lighting up your heart, yes, this is Jesus speaking to you. You know, honestly, this ministered to me when I was preparing this. Just saying. So this is Jesus. So the young man's sinfulness is so great because Jesus wants to wildly demonstrate that there was really nothing left in him that could possibly motivate the father to forgive him. The father forgave because it was in his heart to forgive. It is the father's nature to forgive, and he can be no other. God forgives us because it is his nature to forgive. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. That's Psalm 86. Ephesians 1.7, according to the riches of his grace. So why else is his sin so vile, pigs and all? Why so vile? Well, clearly, the Father's heart to forgive has no limits. That's the point. There are no limits here. If there had been a limit, right, on the grace of God, he had kind of steamed past it and then got another 150 miles. But there is no limit. He did everything wrong but there is no limit to his mercy so we look deep into the father's heart through the through the aperture of this parable and jesus is revealing to us this astounding truth is a radical truth this shocking truth this scandalous truth that you cannot go so far that god's love and forgiveness are no longer offered to you the father would have accepted the son back at any time what we understand is that actually he'd already been forgiven there was a moment of glorious encounter where that was expressed, but he'd already been forgiven. From the father's perspective, there is no condemnation for this son. Oh, and by the way, hmm, important to say this. This actually, because it's in the father's house, this is a parable for believers. This isn't the kind of parable that was like, okay, and then I said yes to Jesus, and now I, no, 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 you're in the box. This is for all of us following Jesus, right? Honestly, I get so sick and tired of that whole sense of, oh, so, no, 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 we are still in the box. There's sanctification. It's a process, right? So, just throw that in. So, you have not stretched God beyond his limits. He has no limits. Jesus Christ died for your sins. Hear this, past, present, future. He really did. He really did. And if he didn't, then we're lost. But he did, he did. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. And then Jesus shows us this radical, limitless love in action. Now, the younger son has burned all his bridges. He has no more rights to claim. He squandered the wealth with the Gentiles, which makes him dead to the community. So very likely he would be obliged to sit outside the, the gates of the community for a long time, even if the father would condescend to come and see him. That's probably what's playing in his mind. Will my father even see me? Whatever he was expecting, nothing, nothing could have prepared the younger son for what now happens. I think these are some of the most beautiful words that have ever been spoken. Oh, I'm going to cry again. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Ah. Oh. The word here, kiss, is, is catephilison, which means to kiss him again and again and again. It wasn't kind of an English, you know, it was like, it was a lot. And, this, and the language that he uses is bold and unambiguous. Well, this son of mine was dead, but he's alive again. 
And here the father uses the rarer word for my son. And the word is technon, which means my beloved son, my dear son, my most beloved one. Actually, it's the same word that Jesus uses when the guy is lowered down through the roof and he says, son, it's the same word. It's a special, I know, it's not cool. Same word, technon. It's like my most beloved son. And all of this, hear this, all of this takes place in public. All of this takes place in public. Like, so he puts him in uh, not just an extravagant robe, it's the father's robe. And the point here is this, this now signifies that everybody, even from whatever distance, you know, that the father and the son have been fully restored. And they are duty-bound to honour him with the father's honour because he's wearing the robe. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So in all of these incredible and very deliberate details, what else is Jesus showing us about the nature of the Father's heart towards us when we sin? Well, it begins with the Father's love is patient. How long was the younger son gone? I guess, well, long enough to get through a great deal of money, suffer through a famine, and get some unpaid labor. Jesus doesn't give us a a time frame. What we do say is that the father was clearly in the habit of looking out for him, even from the bottom of my drive, and ready to restore him when he returned. God waits patiently for you. He longs for you to return. He wants you to take advantage, to enter into the depths of relationship that that is available to you through Jesus Christ. And he's patient. I was 10 years old when my neighbor stood in my driveway and prayed for me. It was another 17 years until I knew Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He is patient. He is good. I mean, looking back, he was pretty busy in that season, but... And then, like, another 15 years before he told me he was on the drive. I mean, but he's eager. He's patient, but he's also eager. He's eager. The father ran to him in full public view. The father runs to his son. This is really countercultural. This publicly breaks all the rules of what's socially acceptable. No, no man over a certain age runs in public. I think it's a good rule, frankly. I think we should follow that. And, and the word run in, in Greek here is dramon, D-R-A-M-O-N, which is a technical term used for the foot races in the stadium. It's the word that Paul uses in that sense, is in run the good race. So what Jesus is saying here, I love this, his father saw him and had compassion and raced towards him. Isn't that beautiful? The father races towards you, races towards you. In stark contrast to the popular idea that God despises sinners, Jesus is showing us that he is, in fact, very eager to restore fellowship with sinners. And God is always more eager to restore fellowship with you or with me than we are with him. But he's patient and he's eager. Well, how do we know that? Well, we look to the cross. We look to the cross. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. God demonstrates his love for you in this. While we were still sinners, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. So, my brother, um, I, 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 this is another story, save for another time, but I came to faith. The Lord kind of put a hit squad around us in a North Devon village, and we came to a living faith in Jesus. It was amazing. And, and when I came to faith, the first thing was like, okay, I've got to pray for my brother, because he's like four and a half years younger. I often try and pass him off as 
four and a half years older, if I can get away with it. But anyway, that's between <laughs> us. So I was like, I've got to pray for my brother. And so the Lord had put this amazing community of people around. It really was a hit squad. I mean, they, it was such a gift, these amazing people. And uh, they prayed for us, and they brought us into the things of the Spirit and the Word of God and the mission of God. It was just it really set. All the values, all the values I hold dear were implanted by, the, by God through these amazing people. So I said to these people, you've got to pray for my brother. You know, and Paul was living in London at the moment. Not quite the, de- I wouldn't want to say it was quite the debased kind of lifestyle as this parable, but, you know, not too far away. You know, it was, <laughs> I love you if you're watching. You know, I think he would say that too. So, um, <laughs> But, you know, but we prayed. We really, really prayed. And I was just full of faith. I mean, I just, you know how it is. You just, Jesus is real. Jesus knows your name. And you're like, you're in. So I was praying. I was praying for my brother, Paul. Well, he called me. He called me at one point And he said, um, uh, he, he said, do you know any Christians in London? Well, I didn't. I only knew, like, eight Christians. And they were in my small group. They were the only ones I knew in the whole world at that point. Were there eight people in that group? I said, no. He said, why? He said, well, if I get on a bus or a subway, or I'm, you know, sitting on a park bench eating a sandwich, some wretched Christian comes and sits next to me and says, do you know Jesus? <laughs> so he said, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, stop it. Just stop, just stop. Well, I, I went back rejoicing to the group. I was like, you won't believe this. You know, this. So we prayed some more, we prayed some more. And, and, then, and then this is the, the glorious thing. So he, he woke up one Sunday morning with a hangover on his own in his, in his apartment. And led there and said, you know what, this, this is not who I am. There has to be more to life than this. And I had mentioned Holy Trinity Brompton, which I'm glad I mentioned you earlier, because that kind of helps you understand. So I'd mentioned this church, and I'd only seen it on video through the Alpha series. I'd never been there. I just kind of liked the look of it from the video. So, because I remember, I only know eight Christians at this point, and I've watched some videos of HTB. So that's kind of me. So I said, oh, you should go to HTB. It looks great. Well, he kind of remembered that somehow. Um, he remembered, H, remembered the, the, you know, HTB. So he was like, okay, I think I know where that is. I'm going to go. So, uh, and honestly, I'm not that old, but this was before you Googled it on your phone or there was a map or anything like that, okay? Otherwise, this story doesn't make sense. You're going to be like, why didn't you get his phone now? Because it was a long time ago. Okay, so. <laughs> um, actually, we did have cell phones. They just looked like bricks in that day. <laughs> so, so he's like, okay, I'm going to go to HTB. I didn't know any of this, but he's made this decision. So, being a classic guy, he's too proud to ask for instructions and is quite sure where he's going. He's kind of walking deliberately in a particular way, thinking, around the next corner, I will find Holy Trinity Brompton. What he doesn't realise is he's hopelessly lost. Now, if you're in London, okay, this is a really unique story. I'm not suggesting this as a kind of tourist way of behaving, okay? You're you're all smart people, but this was a unique moment in God. So three guys walk towards him, and the older one looks at him and says, three, isn't that interesting, three, three, and the older one looks at him and says, hey son, you look lost, can we help you? And he said, thinking that Holy Trinity Brompton was literally just around the corner, said, oh yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking for HTB, you know, I'm going to go to the five o'clock service. Um, and they kind of said, oh, gosh, you are headed in completely the wrong direction. Um, but we have a car, and we'll drive you there. We're kind of headed that way. We'll drive you there. Wow. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> this is a very unique story, okay? So he said, okay. So he got in the car. I mean, he's bigger than I am. He's a rugby player. But, you know, he said, okay. So, <laughs> so he got in the car, and they delivered him 
If you've ever been to HDB in London, I mean, it is just a really special place. And they kind of delivered him at the doors. You know those glass doors with all the etching? And they delivered him. And the, and the worship music is just kind of just pouring out. And he stood there and he, he thanked them. And they said, you have a really good night, son. You have a really wow. good night. So they disappeared. Paul walks up the steps and stands at the back. And the worship music is, is playing. And, um, and he stands at the back and says, God is alive in this place. God is alive in this place. And then basically, in those days, there was a five o'clock service and a seven o'clock. And they were always packed. And it still is packed, but that in these kind of earlier days, you know, Alpha was very new. And, you know. So he, um, he basically stayed for the five, um, gave his life to the Lord between the five and the seven and stayed for the seven. And then... Um, and then, and, then, and then called me from, and this is funny, remember, he called me from a payphone, those little red boxes, they, <laughs> we actually have those. They got, and he's putting coins in, and he's just crying. I mean, he, I think he put in like a couple of pounds, before, English pounds, before he actually managed to get any words out. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and sent three guys on a car to get in there on time and met him at the gates and embraced him and kissed him. Let me share with you one more beautiful, astonishing, humbling facet of the Father's heart. And this is all about the Father's focus. Okay? The Son's opening speech. Hang on, I'm going to blow my nose. I had my second vaccine shot yesterday. That was a very, you know, biologically clean blowing of my nose. Anyway, so... Now, if you, if, you, if you look to the scriptures, if you look, if you look to Luke 15, what you find is that the son's opening speech that he's been rehearsing on the way, you know, is all focused on his sin. It begins with begging for mercy. He is acknowledging the father's right to reject him and reject his plea for mercy. And here's, here's what I want to show you. The father has an entirely different focus. In his compassion, the father chooses to focus only upon his son. He entirely ignores the speech. He doesn't even let him finish. He's like, enough. He places all his focus on his son. What about the sin? What about, what about all the money he squandered? You know, what about the humiliation of his family and friends? What about, you know, all the sin to his own body that's probably gone on, has definitely gone on? You know, what about lying around with pigs for like... No, Father doesn't make any reference to this. Any reference to this. He has only one thing on his mind. He says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the point that Jesus is making is that because of the cross of Jesus Christ, your sin does not have to be a hindrance to the Father's loving fellowship with you. On the cross, Jesus dealt with your sin. Past, present, future. Your sin is no longer his focus. You know what his focus is? You. You are his focus. You are his focus. Your sin is only a hindrance to the extent that you allow guilt, the guilt and the shame that accompany sin to blind you to the fact that God is eager to re-establish his loving fellowship with you. Once you turn back, he is so eager to have you back. What you've done, how long you did it for, that you said you'd never do it again, and then you did it again, and again, and again, and fell to your knees every time and said, you know, I, you know who will save a wretch like me? Huh. Never a consideration. The father's response to the returning sinner is not anger, 
It's not frustration, it's not indignation, it's not rejection, it's not shaming, it's not condemnation. He doesn't cast him out. What we see, as has already been said this morning, is compassion. Compassion. This is Isaiah 30. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he will rise up to show you compassion. I find this extraordinary, that the father in that moment is more concerned, as the son is his focus, with the battered, tormented, agonizing state of his soul and heart in that moment. He, he is more, he identifies with the, the pain of guilt and shame and the misery that is on this young man. His heart bleeds for him in that state. Such is his compassion. Not, oh, you disgust me, but oh my gosh, that hurts. Come to me. I know that hurts. I know that hurts. Come to me. And actually alleviating your pain and sorrow actually gives the Father joy. Uh, yeah. We finish with this. Um, one of the coolest, obviously this is the most cool, but one of the coolest invitations I had to speak somewhere was in what was formerly East Germany. And I was invited to speak um, at a disused communist, that's probably the first word this word's been used in, but a disused uh, communist cotton factory that had been taken on for the weekend by this tribe of amazing Christians called the Jesus Freaks, right? <laughs> now, the Jesus Freaks were goths. This was a Christian goth movement. <laughs> and what they did, they were amazing. What they did, they just had this incredible gift to like go into the, bar, go into the nightclubs of Berlin and all these kind of dark places and bring people out into the light. Literally go in and bring them Jesus. They were amazing. They were amazing people. The problem, the reason why I was invited to speak was that what their leadership had recognised, and the leadership was very young, what they recognised was that they, they didn't have a strong father model to look to. There was such kind of breakdown in the family. I mean, my own sense is that this goes back to the Second World War, and I think it even touches here, that there was this kind of gap in fatherhood. So you had, you, had, you had fathers that came back, either never came back or came back and were absent. And so you had sons that grew up not, just not knowing how to do it. And then they replicate, replicate the pattern and so forth. So this, this they found to be the problem. And in fact, even the idea of fatherhood had become distorted given their history. So there was almost a reluctance to kind of think of father. And actually, interestingly, um, the German reformer Martin Luther had exactly the same problem. It's kind of interesting because he says... I have difficulty praying the Lord's Prayer because whenever I say our Father, I think of my own Father who is hard, unyielding, and relentless. I cannot help but think of God in that way. That's Martin Luther. That's the reformer. So we were invited to come and minister to them in the, with the Father's love. So, so you know Chorley Wood, right? Chorley Wood, East German goth movement. Like, so we were kind of team prep. Okay, we, we really were. We just, there's about 12 of us, all in pastel shirts, in a, in a sea of black piercing and mascara. I mean, it, it was extraordinary. They were so kind to us. Their worship, my gosh, was something to behold. It was kind of full-throttled, ear-bleeding, beautiful chaos. Right? It, was it was amazing. And, but there we were. There we were. There was the Chorleywood team prep you know, preppy team in our pastel shirt, probably this shirt, probably, <laughs> pastel shirt, you know, little yellow earplugs in, you know, guys. <laughs> so, and um, 
and I, I remember uh, they, they showed us to our, our lodging and basically the, the, the room they had for me, someone had literally, and I kid you not, someone had literally taken a sledgehammer and knocked a hole in the wall to create this little kind of cave. And they said, this is your room. I was like, oh, thank you very much. And, uh, and when I looked, it was clear that someone had already, like Goldilocks, someone had already slept in my bed. You know, like he saw my brother was a hairy man. It's like, it's clear that someone had slept in my bed. So I said, I think someone stepped in your bed and they went, oh, it will be okay, it will be fine. You know, so. so it was, it was glorious. They were so kind. They really did kind of embrace. We were this odd English kind of preppy pastel people with earplugs. What do you say? You know, so. And um, so, so we kind of went through, we ministered them in the, the, the Father's love. And, you know, it was, and it was, it was great. But we, we came to the end. We came, we came to a a moment and where we were in Luke 15 and, and I was just really taken that the father embraces the son, he hugs him, he holds him close, it's a very, it's physically kind of bonds him, it brings him back into his heart, physically. And I just had this kind of sense in the Lord that just maybe we needed to literally take these kind of pierced bodies in our arms and speak the Father's blessing over them. We had to literally offer, and there's like a lot of them, right? There's 12 of us. There's like, I don't know, 700 of them. It was a lot, okay? So we had to kind of take them in our arms and pray over them. And now I, so I thought, I'll take it to the team because, you know, they are English, so they will veto this idea, right? So, <laughs> so I said, I look, I think this might be what the Lord is saying, but probably not, probably not. And they were like, no, it, we think that we really went into that. I think we got to do it. I was like, okay then. So we got. <laughs> oh, can I tell you a really funny story? This is a bit naughty, but I mean, they thought it was funny, so I think it's okay to laugh about this. But at one point, I told a story about being a Cub Scout as a kid, and I, and I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, they probably have no idea what Cub Scouts are. So I said, do you have scouting out here? Do you have Cub Scouts? And someone from the back said, we had the Hitler Youth. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> they laughed. They laughed. It was their joke. I was like, <laughs> anyway, anywho. <laughs> so they were, they were good people. They were good people. So I'm so glad you laughed at that. That would have been horrible if you'd not found that funny. So, I, so we got on the platform, do the teaching, and then we get to the end, and there's this kind of moment where I know I have to give this invitation. So in a very kind of classically English way, I kind of gave this invitation. It's like, we kind of feel that God might be saying, or not, you know, that if you want to come and receive prayer, we can give you a hug, you know. Uh, but you don't have to come. God still loves you. It doesn't matter. We're probably wrong, but the invitation is there. You know, it's just kind of like the worst altar call ever. And they're kind, of, they're kind of glinting in the lights with all the piercings, and, you know, it's kind of this glinting. So then, and then, you know, if you've ever, you know, part of ministry you then have to wait don't you oh. well it probably it probably was only like two or three minutes it felt like four days you kind of just stood there it's like tumbleweed <laughs> but then just about where you're sitting this um this young man just gets up and he's all dressed in black and he's pierced kind of everywhere there is to kind of be pierced no, i'm not i don't have a thing about piercing i'm just saying that's going you know, to be glinting in the light and so he kind of and he's walking towards me, and literally as he's walking towards me, he is breaking down. It's just the tears are just... And literally, by the time he gets to me, he can hardly stand. And he just kind of fell in my arms. He just fell. And we, I just held him and just prayed over him. He, it was the most 
beautiful thing. That was probably about nine o'clock in the evening. And no word of exaggeration. We were there. Oh, it set me off. We were there till 2 a.m. in the morning. My shirt was black with mascara. <laughs> they just, and they, they were so good, they just, they just waited. Like, they waited hours. Because there was only 12 of us, you know, and about 700 of them. So, it, they, you know, I, I, don't, I honestly don't think there was anybody who didn't come. It was this incredible move of God's Spirit, and we had the privilege of embracing them in the Father's love. And we were weeping. It was so Now it makes me weep. I mean, I've told this story before, but gosh, it just it makes me weep. It was so beautiful. And so about kind of 3.30, we were kind of done. And uh, so we decided, because we are English, that we would go and have a cup of tea somewhere and process what had just happened. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. We kind of began by saying, gosh, that was astonishing, and everybody's kind of blackened, and you know, tear-stained. And, and, um, and, then, and then someone said, you know, but I, I had just had this very clear prayer. There were other things that all gave me prophetically, but, but for everyone there was a very clear prayer. And the prayer was something like this. There is nothing you can do to make the Father love you more. There is nothing you can do to make the Father love you less. The Father loves you perfectly and unconditionally. And we all looked at each other because we had all said the same prayer. This had been like, it's almost like we had like a liturgy, you know, but it was like, that was the prayer. And there were other things we prayed over them, but that was the opening prayer. That was the opening prayer. Well, we got a couple of hours of sleep, and the next morning, they're back with worship again. We went in, and this, the worship was in this vast warehouse. It was amazing. It literally had been a cotton mill, you know, extraordinary, huge, huge, cavernous, high ceilings, red brick thing. It literally cotton still on the floor. Um, but we went in. And the whole, the whole atmosphere had changed. Not that there was anything wrong with their worship. Their worship was amazing. It was spirit and in truth. And, and it was loud and it needed to be. And it was glorious, right? It pleased the Father. But as we walked in, that, that had stopped. And they had um, Barks and Matthew Passion playing. And they had candles kind of everywhere. And they were all stood in little groups kind of praying for each other. It was just, there was just this peace. It was extraordinary. And they were still weeping. And they were still... Still weeping. And then I looked up in this high kind of vaulted season, ceiling, um, big walls, like 20 foot. And around the top, um, someone had spray painted. Someone had spray painted um, in English, in English, these words. There is nothing you can do to make the Father love you more. There is nothing you can do to make the Father love you less. The Father loves you perfectly and unconditionally. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess the question that Jesus has for you this morning is like, can you conceive of such a love? And actually, I would say probably the answer is well, probably not, actually. But that's why we have the Holy Spirit. You know, Romans 5, 5, one of my favorite verses, the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts. Why? That we would know his love. Yes, he leads us in wisdom, and yes, he leads us in truth, but he leads us in wisdom and truth in his love, and it's his love that's poured in. Can you conceive of that? Can you conceive of such a love? Is it possible, is it possible that Jesus brought you here this morning and met you even before you walked in with the words, you belong here, because he wants to bring this message to your heart? That where you feel, you know, you look in the mirror, 
You look in the mirror. We look in the mirror, don't we? And what do we see? We see a failure and a promise breaker. Nuisance. He looks back at us and he sees, he sees a son. He sees a daughter with his robe on his shoulders and his ring on his finger. He really is that good. He really, really is that good. But while he was yet at a distance... See, maybe, maybe today you think, you know what, I, I think that might be true. There's something in my heart that says that could be true. I have just enough faith. I just have a little bit of faith that says, okay, you got my attention. But while he was yet at a distance, that's how good he is. And he gave you that little bit of faith anyway. That little thing that you're going, ooh, he gave you that. <laughs> His father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So, why don't we stand? I have no idea what time it is. I'm sorry if it's Monday morning. I really apologize. <laughs> Uh, I'd love to give you a hug. I don't know if I can. I mean, um, but he can. So we're going to... We, he can. I think that's... I think he can. Yeah. We can have a prayer ministry team. Do you have a prayer ministry team? Yeah. We do have a prayer ministry team. Yeah. All right. Let me, just, let me just, just pray for you now. So just close your eyes and just dare to believe that Jesus could literally be speaking to you. I'm going to do my best to kind of follow the contours of his heart. I, I won't be as eloquent as he is, but, but I hope you hear his spirit. So the Father really, really loves you. Yes. Wild about you. He is wild about you. Sings over you. He knew you before you were born. You were his idea. And he watched you. He watched you come into this creation as his child. And he's been with you every day of your life. And he is your biggest cheerleader. You can imagine the crowd, you know, cheering you on. His voice is loudest. This is my son. This is my daughter. Look at them go. Look at them go. And I just feel that maybe some of us this morning came here feeling like they kind of, they messed up and that they kind of lost that somewhere along the way. You know, they just, how many times can I screw up and still say I'm a Christian? And Jesus told this parable to show you this morning that there are no limits on his mercy. And yes, he does meet you with his arms open, but not in rejection, but to embrace you. This child of mine was dead and is alive again. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here this morning. I pray that you would put your arms around your children this morning. Pray, I pray, Father, they would know your embrace again. Father, would you bring them back to, to first love? But when we say first love, it's not like, oh, that's when we didn't understand very much about God, you know, but we were very enthusiastic. That's not what is meant by first love. The first love is it's his first love for you. He loved you first and the fullness of that love. So come back to the fullness of his love, the fullness of his love. Just breathe him in. Just breathe him in. He put a sign above the door to 
today that say you belong here he met you in worship he had a dear sister here stand up and say it's his compassion that seeks us out it's his compassion that finds our hearts it's it's his compassion and kindness that leads us to repentance it's his compassion that draws us back into his embrace he has compassion for you as the father walked toward that son and knew the pain and the misery of his son's heart he knows what you're carrying and you can give it to him now why don't you just literally hand him all that pain and all that misery and that that shame you know our sin needs forgiving but our shame needs healing let him lord jesus i pray you would heal hearts that have been shamed Father, I pray that you do a work in our hearts this morning. That whether, whether we perceive you in this moment or not, as we go on into this week, we will find that our head is raised a little higher, our shoulders a little further back, our heart a little wider open, because we know that we know that we know that we are your child. And there is nothing that we can do to make you love us more. There is nothing we will ever do to make you love us less. You love us perfectly and unconditionally. Father, write this truth in our hearts. Deposit this love in our hearts again. Know the Father's embrace. Know his kiss upon your cheek, the ring upon your finger, the robe upon your shoulders. He celebrates you. He celebrates you. He celebrates his love over you. This is the Sunday morning podcast from The Table, Boston, where you'll find the latest teachings from our Sunday meetings. Find more from us at thetableboston.com.